This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Well, that was a big weekend for the Houston Rockets and their fans. Uh, welcome into the podcast. I am here with my good friend, M.K. Bauer. Uh, you know him from the Sports Exchange and uh, writes articles as well for Culture Map. MK, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. Thanks for doing this. It's been a long season. I'm looking forward to the postseason. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, absolutely, man. It's been a while since we've done this, and uh, it's we're coming into the uh, money time right now. It's uh, We're only a couple games away before regular season is over and all the uh, games count at that point. There's a lot to talk about here. I mean, so much has happened really since we've talked on a podcast in general, but uh, so much has just happened just in this, this weekend. Rockets have a an incredible game, an incredible opportunity Friday against the Spurs where they're going to ha- be in a good position for the number two spot, a, a decent position um, with Memphis's tough schedule, and that game slips away from them. The one-point loss comes down to the, to the buzzer where uh, James Harden drives and gets blocked by Tim Duncan. Uh, a lot to, to talk about from that game first. What were the, your main takeaways from that game against the Spurs? It's an opportunity loss. Uh, no one's going to look at this postseason picture and say you hope to play anybody. I think everyone understands that yeah. there are a lot of formidable teams in the West, and, and any postseason matchup is going to be a difficult one based on the talent that the other team features. And But clearly everyone was kind of eyeballing an opportunity to play a Dallas team that seems to be in a little bit disarray that has lost a lot of its offensive mojo with the acquisition of Rajon Rondo. They've gotten better defensively, but they just aren't quite what people thought they were going to be an offensive juggernaut at one point in the season. So if you're Houston, you're 3-1 against Dallas. That one loss was coming out of the All-Star break. We just looked a little bit flat. It didn't perform well. That's the one team you're kind of eyeballing yeah. and saying we would like to play them if we had our choice. And to lose an opportunity to finish second in the West and get that matchup, it's brutal. And, and to your point, you know, the San Antonio game in San Antonio, the Rockets were just throttled at one point in the game yeah. and, and lost lost their way. The game here on Friday night, they were really in position to, to win it, if not for missing all those free throws, A, and then still B, having a shot late with your best player doing his patented thing in terms of driving to the basket. It's a difficult loss, and it may be one that defines their their movement going forward simply because they may have an unfavorable matchup when they wants to get to the playoffs. You know, I, there were so many things about that game. A one-point game, 21 missed free throws. We're going to talk about the hacking strategy that uh, Greg Popovich employed uh, in that game. We had seen signs leading up to that as well. But, you know, you, you lose a, a game by one point, and when you miss 21 free throws, I mean, you really can look within as far as, what you know, the, the fall from that game. I think Houston fans, a, a lot of them, sort of panicked a little bit because it kind of tapped into their fears. I mean, you look at what happened in Game 1 and Game 2 against Portland last year. Uh, their fear is that James Harden's going to get locked down. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at James Harden. That's what happened in that game. Goes 5 for 19. Uh, and the Rockets are going to be unable to score. Um, in, in other ways, I think we saw a, a lot of those fears come to light in that game. 
Um, but I, I'm not terribly concerned about that. I think we're going to see in, in the playoffs. I mean, games are going to change all the time, and I think you know they're going to focus on Harden regardless. But um, that was something that I think a, a golden opportunity loss is the best way I would describe it. Yeah, it, it's going to be more difficult because I think what we're seeing of late is teams really being aggressive and getting the ball out of Harden's hands. And, and the one thing I noted in that San Antonio game in particular throughout the course of the game, it seemed like Harden kept avoiding taking that shot at the rim with Tim Duncan on the court because Duncan, of course, an all-time great, was coming over with the weak side defense and was right there thwarting him time and again. I found it interesting that in that last moment, he said, screw it, i got to take the shot. He had passed out of it repeatedly. He could have done it there. It was interesting watching some body language from him and Dwight Howard where Howard was suggesting that he could have lobbed it over the top because Duncan yeah. came over and showed early. But if you're, if you're James Harden, you can't do that in that spot. you got to be the guy that takes that shot. And maybe he got fouled, maybe he didn't, but it didn't work out for them. So, yeah, I think uh, I understand that fear, that hesitancy by Rockets fans wondering what's going to happen with teams that spend seven games throwing everything they have at Harden, getting the ball out of his hands and making other guys beat them because consistently that hasn't happened. The Rockets have had games where, yeah, they've hit threes, and when they hit threes, they're deadly. But is that going to happen in the postseason? Can you trust Trevor Ariza and Jason Terry and Corey Brewer to nail open threes when the ball is not in James Harden's hands? That remains to be seen because, hey, you've lost Patrick Beverly in that role. You've lost Donatus Modiunas in that role. You've shortened the opportunity to have other guys do that job for you. And I'm just curious to see how hard handles it this year, having played as well as he's played all season, with the understanding that come postseason time, he's not going to get good looks. Yeah. If he gets to the rim, it's going to have to be in transition or catching defenses off balance early in the possession, not after they grind it out possession offensively. So it, it, that's the one thing that I'm looking most forward to in terms of how things play out for him because his first two postseasons here have not been very good. He's been otherworldly this season offensively. He's going to have to be that player in a postseason for the Rockets to advance. You know, and to that point that you just mentioned, as far as Ariza and, and uh, Terry and these guys knocking down shots, we are seeing something positive happen with Ariza. He's been a, a different player on the offensive side of the ball the last, uh, and I say different player, he's starting to knock down shots. I mean, we, we saw for a long stretch this season, he was just playing ineffective, shooting around 30% from three-point range. It was on high volume, and it was... Uh, getting quite tiresome but now it's been about 25 games now where he's about 40 percent and as a matter of fact in the last 18 games he's shooting 49 percent from the field almost 44 percent from three-point range uh, almost 15 points a game during that stretch knock on wood we're, hopefully we're seeing the Trevor Ariza that we that became well known last year with the Wizards stepped up in the playoffs last year we need to see that in the playoffs from from Ariza this year and, and hopefully that uh, the trend is is remains and and uh, we see that in the playoffs I want to talk a little bit about this win. They bounced back uh, tonight uh, against the Pelicans, came out flat, and Pelicans have been a matchup problem for the Rockets, but I think the Rock, uh, you know, early on they built a 10-point lead in the first half, and it looked like this was just not going to happen. Completely different game in the second half. Rockets explode for 69 points in, in, in uh, third and fourth quarter combined. Corey Brewer, uh, who really has been a bit of a nightmare for the Rockets in the last four or five games, uh, certainly has struggled shooting around 30% from the field, not getting the steals, not not having quite the impact despite playing significant minutes that he's had almost all year, really showed up big here in this one. 13 points in the fourth quarter, uh, was a huge out in transition. They had a 21-0 uh, fast break points uh, advantage over the Pelicans. 
big bounce back win. I mean, you, you lose the opportunity Friday, but the, they get a good win here tonight. I think there are two ways to kind of view this game positively and negatively. Let's start with the positives. I love their aggression, both in transition. You reference the 21 fast break points, and even in a half court. And there were times where Harden was very much in attack mode in terms of getting to the rim. Um, the same thing with Corey Brewer. Uh, I think a lot of the action in terms of just getting into the paint and making things happen against the Pelicans defense obviously isn't very good. It's, it was key for them tonight. Um, secondarily, I, after that slow start in the first quarter, they shot 64.7 effective field goal percentage in the last three quarters and scored 99 points. So, you know, when you see them play well offensively and it's all encompassing, attacking the basket, getting to the line, taking three-pointers, we know they're a potent team. And you saw that tonight when they had to be a potent team. Negatively, the one thing that really is kind of jumping out to me is that their defense hasn't been very good of late, even with Dwight Howard back in the fold. The last 10 games, their defensive rating is 106.6. Howard has played eight of those games, but they've, they've seemed like they're just kind of trending in the wrong direction. Yeah, their offense has been fantastic at 109.0 offensive rating in that same stretch, but in the playoffs, you've got to play better defense. And, and, and Mikhail was kind of touched upon this, that the effort or energy or whatever has not been there on that side of the court. Even with Dwight Howard being a, a, a shot block or a rim protector, all these things you expect of him, maybe the increased minutes helps that. Um, maybe the better rebounding with him there will help that. But right now, th- their defense is trending in the wrong direction. Yeah. And it has to be better when you're talking about potentially facing the Clippers in the first round, the, maybe the best offense in the league, if not the Warriors, the Mavericks, who have their moments, but they're still very, very good, the Spurs, who obviously are a guillotine for, for team's defense. Uh, you got to be better. And they haven't been very good. They weren't very good defensively tonight. Yeah. And you wonder what direction they're heading with two games left in the regular season, not knowing their postseason opponent and how they can get that rectified given their shortcomings of their roster. And I think part yeah, exactly. I think part of that's the injury. I mean, so much of it is knowing rotations. It seemed like tonight at, at, at times, I mean, Terrence Jones has been improved this year, but I thought at times he was a little bit lost. Uh, they, I would say the Spurs especially really picked apart the Rockets' defense in the sense that they could always, they just always are able to find that open guy and that that seam and that, uh, you know, that slip. And I think tonight as well, uh, you know, the Pelicans took advantage of a lot of Rocket weaknesses in, in the defense. And I think you're right, that's an issue. I want to talk a little bit about the. Uh, the hacking strategy that has sort of, you know, now become famous. I mean, I just call it hack a rocket at this point because, you know, they just can grab any one of these guys out there on the floor and then uh, feel they might have a chance. But, you know, Greg Popovich starts this in the third quarter Friday, um, and it becomes a big deal, does it again in the fourth quarter. You and I have had almost a disagreement. I don't want to say almost. It's been a disagreement about whether this strategy actually works, but I think you have some good points. I want to let you talk about that. But in all three instances, three big stretches, twice against the Spurs and uh, as well here against the Pelicans, they did these, this uh, hacking strategy for a long stretch. And in every case, the Rockets gained points overall in the, in the overall lead. But you have a different uh, take on whether this works or not. I think the one thing that stands out to me is that you can't view it just in the prism of that four, three-minute stretch or whatever. It happens to be with, with the hack or whomever. I think that the grander picture is this. The Rockets lost 13 offensive possessions against the Spurs with the Spurs sending Josh Smith to the line to miss 14 free throws. So even if, if, if the Rockets have a net gain of one or two points during that stretch, my suggestion is this. The game's probably larger if you're running your set offense with James Harden running your offense. It, not having him for 13 possessions basically just watch Smith shoot free throws is the equivalent of basically him sitting on the bench for all that stretch of time. And the effectiveness goes. 
your offense becomes funky when you go that long without running set plays. And even tonight, the last 12 points the Rockets scored were off the free throw line. They, their last basket was at 435, mm-hmm. that running hook shot by Josh Smith. From that point moving forward, it's all free throws. That's very discombobulating. They won the game. They maybe extended the lead a little bit, but the ultimate part of that is your offense becomes bogged down because there's no flow anymore. And I think at some point, if utilized properly, it's very, very disruptive, and it can really have a negative impact on your offense. Not just looking at it again in that small prism, but understanding the, the big picture that taking the ball out of Harden's hands for 13 positions in the second half is a huge negative for your team. And to your point, it's going to continue to some level because Dwight Howard is shooting 58, 52.8% from the line. Josh Smith is shooting 50.6% from the line as a rocket. Joey Dorsey is shooting 28.4%. Yeah. You can't avoid having one of those guys on the court at some point through, through a critical stretch of the game. And if they're going to be out there and other teams understand what this means in terms of taking the ball out of Harden's hands, another mechanism mm-hmm. for taking the ball out of his hands, the Rockets have to find a way to overcome it. Yeah. I mean, I've talked extensively to, to, to several people, even to Daryl uh, Morey uh, about this in the past, and, and we've talked about it. And, and you've I, you've definitely made me question this a little bit because, I, you know, the flat out when you look at the, the situation, I mean, some of the top offenses in the league, I believe, score about 1, 1.1 points per possession. And if as long as you make one of two, you're right there. And not only that, it puts that defense, your defense, in a set position. You're not going up against a transition, a fast break. So you, you would think that that defense would, would limit to lower than 1.1 or 1.0 points per possession. So in, in that sense, I don't feel the strategy works unless teams start just consistently hitting threes each time. Um, however, I... I you talked about it in the in the Spurs game. I watched it again tonight. When they when they stopped that strategy, it was like you know letting two horses out of the gate. One was stuck, and the other one took off. Yeah. Um, and that's what happened at the end of the third quarter uh, against the Spurs. I didn't necessarily see it in the fourth, but at the end of the third, uh, and it happened here when they stopped tonight. Uh, you know they pulled Dwight at 207 mark, um, didn't get him back in, and boom, they had two quick layups. And the I think Harden turned it over. Brewer missed a six foot jumper, and uh, it was a five point game all of a sudden. Uh, and, and then you were right. They started knocking down. Free, the Rockets had to knock down free throws to get their points. So, uh, interesting. We're going to see this a lot. That's the only reason we're discussing this. I, and we we talked about that the moment that uh, Donatus Motiunas was injured. We knew Joey Dorsey was going to to see time. And I should point out that this. I don't feel this works so long as you've got a guy out there who's going to hit one of two on average. When you got Joey Dorsey out there hitting one of four on average, you've got a problem. Um, and and Mikhail's going to have to handle that. But. Um, you know, I want to talk as well about the, the Demo injury. I think we, you know the Rockets have lost Patrick Beverly. That's a big blow, but I think you've got at least ways you can try to, to, to cover that. And, I, and people probably think it's easier to cover the Demo injury because you've got Josh Smith, you've got Terrence Jones. But this was a versatile guy who was doing a lot of things for the team. Um, you know, it's been talked about before, but it's, the last 50 games he's hitting 40% from three-point range. Does, you don't have a big that can do that. Josh Smith, I believe, is hitting around 35%, doing a pretty decent job since being a rocket. But he, he, we're always screaming no when he's shooting that shot. You're always concerned about that. Terrence Jones, not a, not a three-point shooter. Um, and, of course, he's your best dump-it-down big to, to, to score on a, a variety of post moves. You, you lose something you can't replace when you lose uh, Demo. When he was lost, he was leading the NBA and field goals made in the paint, non-restricted area with 158. You combine that stat with the stat you just talked about as three-point shooting, and that proves the versatility. You don't have anybody on this roster that can score in the paint as effectively as he did and step out and hit the occasional three-pointer when you absolutely need it and deploy your offense. And 
a point Kevin McHale made tonight, the passing out of the post, the ability to facilitate the offense, to keep the offense moving, to initiate that second or third option with his passing, that's gone. And I suggested to McHale, does Josh Smith fit that role a little bit because he's an exceptional passer? And he said they're going to finagle that a little bit as best they can to put him in that role. But again, that gets back to having a guy in the post who can score in the post. And, and and I think Josh Smith could do that if he tried it more. The hook shot's rather effective, but he just hasn't become that player who's going to consistently get in a post and try to score the ball. So that's kind of what you're losing. You can't you can't understate how important he was, or overstate how important he was, because of his versatility offensively and all the things he did for you in terms of developing as a player this season when you did not have Dwight Howard, you did not have um, Terrence, Howard, or Terrence Jones. Uh, it, it's striking to me that people have kind of looked at that and just kind of glossed over it because they have an abundance of bigs. They don't have an abundance of bigs with his skill set. And, and he's going to be sorely missing, and we're going to get into matchups in the postseason in, in a second, but that's the one thing that concerns me more than anything else. I'm not fond of the way Jason Terry has played for this team of late other than some occasional three-portion, which has been very good. And you're going to miss Patrick Beverly's defense when you talk about going up against point guards in the West. But not having that one big is critical to the success of the Rockets, and it's going to be very, very difficult for them to overcome. Yeah, I, I don't think the national story about the Rockets uh, understands that that loss. I think um, they've looked at the Rockets as sort of, hey, you lose Terrence Jones, you lost Dwight Howard. It hasn't phased the Rockets overall. As a matter of fact, McHale touched on that tonight. He said, really, it's a credit to all those guys in the locker room. We've won 54 games, still got a couple games left, uh, and, and we've lost a lot of guys this year. Um, but Demo, I mean, and you don't have to play Joey Dorsey. He's your emergency backup big if Denias Motunis is back. And I think that's the real shame of the season as well. We never saw these four big guys, all versatile, all bring bring different things to the table. And Terrence Jones, Josh Smith, Denias Motunis, and Dwight Howard, all healthy in the same game. Never happened this year. Um, and I think that's the sort of a shame that, uh, you know, and this is a guy who as well can play, like I said, can play center and small ball lineups and, uh, and had made strides this year defensively. Hopefully he's uh, going to recover from this uh, this back injury and be healthy next year, but uh, it's it's a big loss. I um, want to talk to you about the, the Thunder-Pelican situation. This was a big win tonight on a, on a different level for the Rockets uh, in that it at least gives the Rockets a chance of still maybe having the 14th pick of this, this draft, a late lottery pick. Um, if the Pelicans miss the playoffs and the Thunder make it instead, the Rockets... Uh, will have the Pelicans pick if it's 14. I think that makes it about a 98-99% chance that it would be. If the Pelicans somehow won the lottery, they would keep that pick and it would move to the next year. But um, it's looking pretty slim. OKC lost tonight in Indiana. And right now, uh, Russell Westbrook picked up his 16th technical, which means he should be suspended for the next game. It did look a little bit controversial. I saw the video of it. Maybe will be rescinded. We'll see. But uh, if he misses the next game against Portland and OKC loses that game, which is likely, uh, the Pelicans still have a a game, I believe a home game against the Timberwolves, maybe in Minnesota, I'm not sure, but it should be an easy win for them. That would be enough to put them in the playoffs, make that pick drop down to 18. Um, But on the bright side, if there is a bright side there, the Pelicans might be a tougher matchup for Golden State. I don't think either team can beat them, but it might be a tougher matchup because OKC just does not look good right now. You've been eyeballing this pick. From day one, oh, absolutely. And it's been an ongoing topic absolutely. of conversation for you. It, it makes me cry. Yeah, I'll be and, honest. And, it's, and I, I picked the Pelicans to make the playoffs on the very You start. did. I got. I got. I teased him about it at the beginning of the year, and and he was 
he was. And, and, and it's pretty remarkable considering their injury situation, missing Drew Holiday for 41 games, Anthony Davis being in and out of the lineup, losing Ryan Anderson for a stretch of time. They've been a very resilient team, and they'd be knocking on their door with a, a game against Minnesota left, basically a one-game lead because they have the tiebreaker over Oklahoma City. The potential, for, and I, I agree with you, I think the league is going to step in and make sure that Russell Russell gets an opportunity to play yeah. a very critical game for that franchise against Portland. There's no way that suspicion is going to be upheld. But it's interesting to me that they're in that position. And I thought they played with a great deal of fire tonight, understanding what was at stake. And even Anthony Davis was quoted after the game saying, it's a, it's a difficult loss, not just because you lost, but because what was at stake for them to basically get a full game ahead, really two games, yeah. with only two, game, two games. I thought it would have been huge for that for that franchise. Absolutely. They've been just floundering for the last few years, particularly since they've gotten rid of, of Chris Paul. They need something like this, and I, and I get it. They're, they're basically going to be sent to an execution chamber playing the words in the first round, but they need the opportunity to be in the postseason to get that exposure, to get that experience, and I'm with you. I think they've gotten this close, and the cards are on the table for them to make it. They're going to find a way to get in, and the bigger story of that, obviously, is Oklahoma City not getting in. Given the stretch that they've been on of great play for years with those core players, and all the thing, bad things that have happened since so they traded James Harden to Houston, it's pretty remarkable. The injury history of Russell Westbrook, of Serge Ibaka and now Kevin Durant in successful seasons being in a position now where they may not make the playoffs despite having a core in place of great mid-20 players and never getting anywhere closer to the NBA Finals than they were that one yeah. year. And about to be in a situation, I don't want to call it lame duck, but a situation where Kevin Durant's going to go into the final year of his contract and going to deal with that whole drama. Uh, you're right. And we'll see what ends up happening there. Westbrook ended up scoring 54 tonight. Had the had OKC won that game in Indiana uh, tonight, it would be a totally different story. They'd have the upper hand right now. They also have a game against Minnesota and the game against Port- Portland, and then they play Minnesota. Um, had they split, then it looked like uh, the Pelicans would likely split if they, if they lost to the Spurs in the final game of the year. But... I don't know, that's why they play the games. Things can change quickly. So before we close, let's, let's talk a little bit about the playoffs for the Rockets. I mean, it's, it's a mess right now. They're 54-26. and 26. They're tied uh, with Memphis and the uh, Los Angeles Clippers right now. Uh, the Spurs are 55-26. and 26. They've got one game left, I believe, the Pelican game. What happens here? What, what do you think is the good situation that could happen here for the Rockets? It, it's so difficult to gauge that because I still don't think we know what this team is now without the, without Donald's money units. And the, that's the one thing we've been doing all year is, is trying to project what they would be when they were fully healthy. Well, they never got fully healthy. Yeah. Or so if they were, it was for a small window of time. And I think to this point, it sounds crazy to say this after 80 games, but we still don't fully know what this particular Rockets team is, this iteration of them is, as you get ready for the postseason. A team that does not have Patrick Beverly or Donatus Units that is relying upon two 37-year-olds at point guard with the occasional sprinkling in of Nick Johnson, who did not play tonight, by the way, um, with a big rotation that is missing the most versatile offensive player. And how much are you going to see Joey Dorsey, who did not play very much tonight? Yeah. I, I don't know what they're going to be. Ideally, you would like to see them place a team that is not overpowering at the bigs. But really, when you talk about the Clippers, that's a, that's a big matchup for them. Yeah. Um, when you talk about Portland, still Robin Lopez, still LaMarcus Aldridge, who always kills the Rockets. When you talk about the Spurs, I'm assuming Chicago Splitter will be back in some form. Obviously, Tim Duncan's a Hall of Famer. There's nothing that looks good for them on paper other than Dallas. Yeah. But the way it's set up now, I doubt they play Dallas. And even yeah. Memphis with Gasol and Zebo, it's not looking very positive for them in terms of who they play. The only hope is that Portland is so hamstrung by not having Wesley Matthews, so hamstrung by if, even if they get Aaron a follow back, he's not 100% with the shoulder injury, that they're lost there. They're going to the third rotation guy at two guard that impacts their ability to run their offense. But 
at this stage, nothing looks easy for them. Yeah. They've won the last two games against the Clippers, but they were very, very difficult games. They've they've split the series against Memphis. Well, they could have won one more game, given the controversy with with the hard non-foul. And maybe Memphis is vulnerable because they just haven't played very well since the acquisition of Jeff Green. But nothing at this stage looks like, okay, that's going to be a relatively easy matchup for this team. Their injuries, I think, have really hurt them. I think you made a great point earlier. We've never seen what this team looked like fully healthy, and that's going to be the greatest tragedy of a team that may win 56 games and may again lose in the first round no. because the reality is we don't know what they would have been if everybody had been, all their cards had been on the same. Yeah, and we may not see Josh Smith back next season, and, you know, I mean, it's, that, that's a, a whole other deal, absolutely. But uh, you're right. I, I would agree with you here. I think this is, I mean, there's no easy outside. I've been saying forever, I thought there were eight teams that all came in with not just. You know, expectations to win the first round, to expectations to be in the Western Conference Finals, in the NBA Finals. I mean, OKC, you put them in there. I mean, they were expected to be the number one, number two, number three seed, and um, it's it's crazy. There's going to be three teams at least um, that are going to be crushed after the first round of the playoffs because they had no. They're going to be blindsided by it, you know. Um, and I, I think right now, if, I mean, I, like I said, there's no easy out, but I would say bring on Portland because I think. You, you have a great opportunity to exercise the demons from last year, the Damian Lillard shot, get that you know taste out of your mouth, and, and get some playoff success. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying it gives you a great opportunity, a great chance to do it. Taking Wes Matthews out of the equation defensively on Harden is a huge key, and I think that's why I agree with what you're saying here. He's been the one guy that they've had their moments where they've gone back and forth, the momentum has swung in terms of the individual performance. They're not nearly as good without that level of defensive player on James Harden. And maybe that opens the door for Harden to have, you know, an outstanding series, the one that transcends what he's done the last couple of years with the Rockets and gets them to the next level. And maybe that's their only hope. I think the Clippers have enough guys they can throw at James, obviously the Spurs too. I think the one weakness in our references, the one weakness that, that, that Portland has right now is that depth has been so sapped at one particular position. And maybe you, you shift Batum on them, but Batum hasn't had a good year at all for Portland. I think that there's a door of opportunity right there for that team to go into Portland, well, have Portland come here because they'll have the home court advantage and try to win that series against a team that is almost as beat up as they are. But it's going to, again, fall on hard and shoulders to be otherworldly. He can't be what he's been previously in the postseason. He has to be an MVP caliber player once the postseason starts. Yeah, and I, I, the downside to that, and I don't want to get ahead of myself I'll be on the first round, but the downside of slipping into five there is you're now in Golden State's uh, you know, bracket, if you will, uh, for the second round. Um, I mean, the, the ideal would have been, you're, you were absolutely right when you nailed it earlier, is the ideal would have been to play Dallas. Again, a, a, still a difficult matchup, but I think the Rockets would have won that series. It would be on the opposite side of Golden State. Absolutely. Bracket, yeah. And I think uh, the other ideal would have been if Golden, excuse me, if San Antonio could have slipped to five. Let San Antonio and Golden State just go at each other, let one come out alive, and, and then see what happens from there. We'll see what ends up happening, but San Antonio just looks like a buzzsaw right now. I mean, they are playing out of their mind. I would have said earlier in the year, hey, let's you know give, give the Rockets a chance. I know the San Antonio is a different animal in the playoffs, but let's see. The Rockets seem to be a good matchup for them. That was uh, eye-opening, you know, to see how they played in that San Antonio game. I still think if the Rockets played them, it would be a good series, but but uh, that San Antonio right now is playing on another level. I can't imagine the Rockets being favored against anyone in the first round other than Portland. Aside from Dallas, obviously, yeah. um, and I'm I'm dubious they'll be favored against Portland. I just don't see them being favored against the Clippers, against the Spurs, or against the Grizzlies. We're talking about legitimate opportunities who they might face here. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if they were favored against those three teams based on their injury situation. And and Portland at this point may be a coin flip simply because they have home court advantage, and because Portland also is dealing with injuries. 
we're going to see uh, how it all uh, unfolds this week, man. I, I appreciate you doing this, and uh, we're going to do it again here real soon and uh, maybe, maybe knock out a few in, in uh, succession like we did last year after the home games. But, uh, MK, man, it's, I, I say this all the time, but it truly is a pleasure to have you on, man. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks, David. Looking forward to the postseason. 